You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into a Monday edition, the final Monday edition of Crunch Time. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Don't worry. Just because crunch time is disappearing, I keep telling y'all, I'm not going anywhere. You can't get rid of me that easily. LSU takes down Tennessee over the weekend, and they're going to have a dog fight on their hands tonight as they will battle with the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. First pitch set for 6 o'clock. Pre-game's at 5.30, and you can catch it right here on the game. We'll dive deep, deep, deep into that matchup. We'll also talk about the struggling Houston Astros uh, and, and what they can do to, to right the ship after they've lost 9 of their last 12 and are now 3rd place in the division. Uh, yeah, the Los Angeles Angels are off to a better start than the Astros. Yikes. We'll talk about that. And some NBA news to get to. Bradley Beal finally got out of Washington. But did everybody really win? We'll talk about that and more. The game hotlines 337-706-0111. We're broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Let's say hello to my producer and co-host, Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Monday, sir. How are you? Why are you trying to make me cry? Man, no. No, no tears till Friday. This is the final Monday. No, no tears, no tears till Friday. Uh-uh. Don't you start that. Uh-uh. No tears till Friday. I'm doing good on this Monday, Matt. How about you? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. There's college baseball to behold. And they're still playing into the eighth. God, it, this World <laughs> Series, like, okay. I know it sounds kind of cliche when you say the College World Series has been incredible because it's supposed to be. It's the it's supposed to be it's the, the best, best eight, eight teams. teams. But the... Every game that has been played so far, this is number seven. They've all been incredible. They've all been really close. Or you just see a really exciting baseball like what you saw with Paul Skeens and the LSU Tigers on Saturday. There have just been some wild plays. I mean, you had the two-run inside-the-park home run for Oral Roberts last night. You, You had the play with Trey Morgan at first base Saturday against Tennessee. For, for LSU, you've had crazy plays throughout the week, and, and it's just been so much fun, and it's only going to get better as the field gets a little bit shorter. It's going to be down to six by day's end. Right now, Stanford is trailing Tennessee 6-4 to four in the top of the ninth. Nobody out. Stanford was up 4 nothing at one point, and Tennessee has responded with six straight runs to take a 6-4 to four lead. But LSU, Saturday night in their opening game against Tennessee, took down the Vols 6-3. to three. It was a very slow start to this game. LSU got one in the second, one in the third. Then they picked up two in the sixth. 
one in the seventh, and then one in the eighth on 10 base hits. They did commit one error as well. James, you had offense. There's no doubt. Gavin Dugas hit a home run. Braden Jobert was a single shy of the cycle. Uh, he got the three hardest legs. I was going to say. And it, left off the easiest one. It's always funny when you get the double, the the triple, the home run. But the one that you were missing was the single. That's supposed to be the, that's that, supposed to be the easiest one. That, that's the easiest part. Um, so, yeah, he, he did all the hard work but couldn't finish the job on the easiest part. But still. Did more than enough to help LSU oh, beat Tennessee. No question. No question. But I, th- I think the biggest story of this game, again, anytime he pitches, is Paul Skeens. Skeens was incredible again. It, was, is, it ended up being 122 pitches, right? 123. 123. He threw 123 pitches across seven and two-thirds innings. He gave up five hits. He only gave up two runs. He walked one batter, and that came in the eighth, his final inning, and he struck out 12. And he was still throwing 100 in the eighth. Of his 123 pitches thrown, 46 of them were 100-plus miles an hour. (laughs) 46. Ladies and gentlemen, that is insanity. That is grown man strength. How fast are you throwing? Oh, God. On a good day? Yeah, like you warm like, up. You're Like if I see the number flash and I'm like, oh, wow. 80. You think you hit 80? 80. And, that, and that's me giving it everything I've got. I'm throwing it 80. More likely than not. And then Probably you, somewhere in the 70s. And then you need Tommy John. Correct. Yeah. Like, have, have the surgeon on standby. I'm coming in immediately. You have... <laughs> yeah, no. Probably 65 to 70 consistently would probably be where I'm at. I've never been a pitcher. Me either. I never pitched. So, I mean, dude, I would just stand on the mound and throw it. Like, there's, there's no mechanics. There's no... There's no arm motion. Like, I'm just cocking back, firing, and seeing what happens. Like, you know how the other night the the Diamondbacks brought in their second baseman to pitch, which I don't know why you would ever do that. Um, he, he's throwing it like 45 miles an hour. And actually, the other team was kind of struggling with it a little bit because you get so used to seeing 90, 95, that when when somebody comes at you with forty, you 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 don't know how to slow your bat down. Um, but but no, yeah, consistently sixty five would would probably be be where I'm at. But Saturday night, the, this win for LSU put them in such a great position right off the bat because now you're going to play a really good Wake Forest team, and if you win this game. Several things happen for you. Number one, you earn a day off. Because if you win tonight, you won't play again until Wednesday. If you lose tonight, you're playing tomorrow. But then here's the other thing. If you lose tonight, not only are you playing tomorrow, you're going to play three games in two days if you want to make the championship series. Because what would happen is it, it, it appears that Tennessee is going to hang on to win this game. 
So say LSU loses tonight. They would play Tennessee tomorrow. And then the winner of that game would meet up with Wake Forest on Wednesday. And they would have to beat Wake Forest twice to make it to the championship series. I'm sorry, that's almost impossible. And I say almost because nothing's impossible. That is all. That is as close to impossible as you could get. So if you're LSU, if you're Jay Johnson and the Tigers, you have to win tonight. Because that puts you in the position where you would have to lose twice. And if you get beat twice, I don't care who you play, if you get beat twice, they deserved it. They, they earned the right to move on. So put yourself in that position where somebody is going to have to take you out of the championship series. And then the other side of the bracket, I mean, God, what more can you say about how good Florida's been? Wyatt Lankford is everything is advertised. Jack Coglione, every bit is advertised. Hurston Waldrop was great last night for the Gators. Florida and whoever wins this LSU-Wake Forest game tonight is going to be one hell of a championship series. I mean, that is going to be prime rib filet mignon college baseball. Like the the chef's kiss of baseball. Waggy five. Oh, I can't afford that. Let's not go that far. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to get to in this opening segment is... We'll we'll talk about two NBA headlines. First, the Bradley Beal trade. Bradley Beal gets traded to the Phoenix Suns in exchange for Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, and a crap ton of second-round picks. And pick swaps. And pick swaps. How, how, how did Phoenix get away with not giving up a first? You did not give up a first. Now look, I know Bradley Beal's in his 30s and his and his career's winding down. I get it. But how did you get away with giving with not giving up a first? Who wanted Landry Shamit? I mean, yeah, the guys had flashes, but you want him as an 82 game player? I don't. Chris Paul, look, he's great, but you're going to have him for a year. Washington got, I, I don't know that either team won this deal, honestly. Because if you're Phoenix, you lose your point guard. I know that Devin Booker can probably run the point, but can he run it as well as Chris Paul can? Probably not. Yeah, because you saw it in the Nuggets series. You saw them move Devin Booker to point. They f- it looked like the offense was flowing pretty well because Booker was shooting really efficiently. They were scoring a bunch of points. However, they weren't winning games. Correct. I, I this feels like this feels like a situation where Phoenix loses their point guard and is now going to have one too many shooters, and then Washington really didn't get anything out of this. You get a one year rental for Chris Paul and a bunch of second round picks, and that's if they even hold on to Chris Paul. Right. You you might either flip him or buy him out. So if you're Washington, if you look at the return, what did you get? 
I don't know that either team won this deal. I was going to say, but then you look on the flip side, and I was talking with it with Jim before, and we've mentioned it on our show. The league feels like it's moving more towards a two-man type of game with nice role players in good depth on the bench yep. the rest of the way. Like, you're looking for two top 30 guys, and then the rest of the way you're looking for good depth and solid role players that can play their role really well. With this, Phoenix only has six guys under contract right now. You got Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, currently DeAndre Ayton. You don't know what you're going to do with DeAndre Ayton because it feels like they're just not committed to him long term, so you feel like they should or will trade him. And you still got Cameron Payne and Ishmael Wainwright. Those are your six guys on the roster right now. Yikes. So at that point, you're going to have to rely on drafting guys to fill the depth as well as picking up a lot of veteran guys for pretty much vet mins. Yeah, you, you're going to have to pick up a lot of vets. Because four of those six contracts currently this year, base salary is at least $32 million. Two of them are 46 You don't have a lot of money to work with. No, you don't. No, you don't. Uh, real quickly, Tennessee just finished taking down Stanford 6-4. to four. Tennessee scores six runs on 13 hits. They commit one error. Stanford gets four runs on six hits with no errors. The storyline here, though, James, Chase Burns becomes the first reliever to have six-plus scoreless innings in a men's college World Series game since 1997. So Chase Dolander didn't have a great day, but Chase Burns came in and sure as hell backed him up. Uh, so now Tennessee will await the loser of LSU Wake Forest tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. The other NBA headline I wanted to get to, Draymond Green declines his player option, and he is now a free agent. James, is this a move for the Warriors to save some money, or do you think Draymond's really looking to go elsewhere? Well, I did see a report from Mike Dunleavy saying that they want Draymond back and what he means for the organization, the teams in terms of trying to win at a higher level. So I don't think that even though they're doing they're doing this contract, like they're releasing him, I'm not ruling out the possibility of him coming back on a much cheaper deal. Yeah, that that's what I could that's what I could see because I, I don't see a reason why he would want to leave Golden State. I mean, he's won four titles with them. He's been a key factor in in their team. The organization clearly has respect for him. He's viewed as a leader in the organization. Like I, I don't see a negative for Draymond staying in San Francisco. And then a lot of people have talked about what's, what are they going to do with Jordan Poole? Well, Dunleavy had also talked about him and said that they plan to have Jordan Poole around for four years. As you should. At least. As you should. Four more years at least. So you're still going to have Steph, still going to have Clay. Probably going to bring Draymond back and still have Poole. Because, well, let's be honest, Steph and Clay, not getting any younger. No. Their time's time's running out. Especially Clay. You're just going to have to try and mold Jordan Poole into the guy that you want him to be and what you think he can be. Clay's time is really running out after all the injuries he's dealt with. I give Clay Thompson maybe two more years, but 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. We'll take a time out here, 418, when we return here from Jay Johnson following their win over Tennessee, and we'll start previewing tonight's game against Wake Forest right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The community is invited to join the Bayou Vermilion District's Vermilionville as they celebrate their annual Acadian Culture Day on Sunday, August 15th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. The annual event will feature live music, a parade, art displays, cooking, accordion construction and repair, wood carving, open hearth cooking, and other demonstrations. Admission is free, and for more information about Acadian Culture Day, call 337-233-4077. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 422, welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh talking LSU and Wake Forest as they get ready to do battle here in about an hour and a half. Pre-game about an hour away at 5.30. First pitch again from Charles Schwab Field at 6 o'clock. These two teams are the only two teams that have spent any point of the season as the number one seed. So, I mean, you're you're talking a national championship-style baseball game tonight between the Tigers and Demon Deacons. You're probably going to get vibes of a national championship, and then once you get to the championship, whether it's... LSU, Florida, Wake Forest, Florida, one of those two teams and take out Florida and go with someone else. It's like it probably won't reach the magnitude that you would see from the Deacons and the Tigers tonight. Yeah. That's why they should have been on op- in opposite opposite brackets, but you know, that's just that's just me. It's a missed opportunity. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely it is. After the win over Tennessee Saturday night, Jay Johnson, Braden Jobert, Gavin Duga, and Paul Skeens all met with the media. Jay Johnson gave his opening thoughts on the contest. Yeah, great uh, night tonight. Uh, unbelievable crowd. I think two things really stand out. Uh, the team, our team, was locked in from the first pitch. Uh, we talked a lot about just focusing on execution, and uh, they did that really, really well. And this time of year, you win these games against these elite teams when um, – Great players play great, and that was certainly the case with Paul from the mound tonight, Braden, Gavin from the batter's box. I uh, thought it was a really solid game. thought we played clean baseball, and our our guys were guys, and that's what it takes to win games here. Jay Johnson also talked about the performance from his sophomore left fielder, Josh Pearson, and the catches that he made in the game. Yeah, spectacular. Um, you know, Tonight was very reminiscent of we started this season at Texas A&M league play. Started league play at Texas A&M. It was a bigger field. The wind was blowing in. Uh, We played him because I just think he gives us professional at-bats. He's a pretty good defensive outfielder, and that paid off. And, um, you know, he's obviously earned his spot in there with how he's performed throughout the postseason. But left field here is a really tough place to play at the 6 o'clock game. There's sun that sits right, you know, right over there. And we actually had to warn him about it. Um, we're here in 21. We hit a double over the left fielder's head, and, and then we misplayed a ball in left field in the first inning. So um, it's really tough, but he did a nice job. And, and Mark Wanaka, 
I've said this before, is the best positioner of outfielders in the planet. And he did, he earned his money tonight with that. They hit a couple right at Dylan and um, right at Josh. I'm glad Coach Johnson had mentioned that because I remember watching the game. My friends had mentioned it too. It was sunny in that part mm-hmm. of the field for sure. So you oh. saw him squint eyes. But you have the sunglasses on your hat, Josh. Guys have historically struggled in left field at Charles Schwab Field. But it's like you had you had the gla- you had the glasses. Some guys some guys are weird. Some guys only put the sunglasses on their head for style. <sighs> some some You're guys me, Smalls. some guys don't actually like to use sunglasses out in the field. It's oh, weird. It's that's I, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't get it. Um, oh man, I can't see. Cause yeah, I, I said the same thing. I was like, why are you using your hand when you have glasses? But look. He made the catches. That's he's, all I'm really worried about. Done. That's all I'm really worried about. You can do whatever you got to do to get it done. Uh, Jay Johnson also talked. We, we talked about it earlier, but Jay Johnson went in depth talking about the dominant performance of America's ace, Paul Skeens. Yeah, I'm really proud of him, and, and I certainly don't take these outings for granted, but that's about the 16th one that we've seen like that, and um, remarkable. Um, I'm really proud of him for tonight because uh, – he had a lot on his plate here, you know, and all great things, you know, with the, the DeKauser Award. But that was uh, um, took a lot of time and effort, and um, what a great honor. And, I mean, he just showed tonight why he was probably the clear-cut winner for that award. Um, so we tried to get him some rest and kind of insulate him as best we could so he could um, be on track with his preparation because he does that better than anybody else. I mean, as good as the performance is, the preparation is even better. And I think what gets lost with him sometimes because the stuff is so amazing, uh, the pitch execution is tremendous. And when you put that kind of stuff with that kind of execution, you have Paul Skeens. So one thing that I found interesting when watching the game on Saturday, the commentators talked about the career of Paul Skeens and how he he started at Air Force and you know moved on to now be at LSU and then they showed a highlight of Dylan Cruz hitting a home run off of Paul Skeens James I, I took the liberty of doing some research on this that was Dylan Cruz's first career homer at LSU off of Paul Skeens. And now they're teammates, and they're going to go number one and number two in the MLB draft and be the first school to ever produce both top picks. That right there is what you call a wild story. It all comes full circle. I mean, <laughs> and, and I had totally forgotten that LSU even played Air Force to open that 2021 season. And they they go back, they show that highlight, and I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And I, I never put two and two together that Paul Skeens was a pitcher at Air Force at the time. But I, I just thought that that was funny. Um, Paul, Speaking of Paul Skeens, he was asked what advice you would give to kids to face a pitcher like you. 
I'll be ready for the fastball. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what else to say. That's pretty much it. That's all you can do. Well said. Short, sweet, to the point, very accurate. Just like a fastball. <laughs> he said, be ready for the fastball. <laughs> oh, anyways, Gavin Dugas, a.k.a. the Homa Hammer, talked about his home run in the game against Tennessee. Uh, just obviously, like Braden said, just trying to get something up. Um, our, our game plan was to get balls up with the guy. I mean, he had a lot of sink, a lot of run. Um, so the only way to be successful was to see him over the plate. And unfortunately, I was able to spit on two balls and then see one ball up. Uh, so I, I was lucky enough to put a good swing on a good ball and uh, put the Tigers out in front right there. And then lastly, Braden Jobert on what he saw from the plate with his three-hit night. I was trying to get the ball up. Um, you know, stay at the bottom of the zone. That was something that uh, I needed to improve from from last weekend. And, um, you know, that was the focus in BP and, and all the training going into the, uh, you know, this week. So, um, you know, just sticking to my plan, um, you know, following what our coaches tell us. And, uh, yeah, it's it worked out positive for me. 4.30 now. We'll continue the LSU Wake Forest preview. Going behind enemy lines a little bit. Connor O'Neill of Deacons Illustrated joins us next for a preview of Wake Forest right here on the game. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. LSU battling Wake Forest tonight at Charles Schwab Field, a 6, thir- a six o'clock first pitch, 5.30 pregame right here on the LSU Sports Radio Network. Their opponent came into Omaha outscoring their postseason opponents by a combined 75 to 16. This offense is incredible. Their pitching may be even better. The Demon Deacons can absolutely do it all. And here to break it down for us from Deacons Illustrated is Mr. Connor O'Neill. Connor, really appreciate you taking the time, man. How are you? My pleasure. Um, doing well. I'm just uh, got some time to kill before the game, so I made my way over to the Omaha Zoo and Aquarium, and uh, making my way through the exhibits now. Nothing, nothing better than the zoo, am I right? I love zoos. Uh, I'm a member of the North Carolina Zoo. It's about less than an hour from the house. Um, it, it's just a great place. They're all great. So you know, let, let's start with the game the other night against Stanford, a 3-2 victory for the Demon Deacons. And, and, you know, for a while it looked like Stanford kind of had a grip on it, and then Wake Forest was really able to turn it on late in the game to to walk away with a 3-2 victory. Kind of talk about that performance, and, and really, to be honest, it was the first time that the Demon Deacons had been tested this postseason. Yeah. Um, the, the game one of the Super against Alabama, that was a tight back-and-forth game. Uh, but Wake had never trailed in that game. Uh, so, so Saturday was the first time all postseason Wake has trailed. And they trailed for a lot of the game. Uh, it was only one run, but I, I kind of think that if not for that hour and a half lightning delay, uh, 
I'm at the ballpark covering a game right now instead of meandering around the zoo. Um, that was a Lake has kind of taken on this this uh, moniker. Um, Brock Wilkins told us the other day they called themselves the king of the delay. Uh, they had about a almost a five hour delay in the regional. Um, came back and started a game at 10:45 at night and beat Maryland. Um, then they had a two hour delay for unfortunate circumstances before that game one against Alabama in the Super. And so it's a it was a precarious spot the other day. Um, I think Wake was a little tight. Uh, you know, you you get into get into Omaha and you're playing a team that's been here three years in a row and. There is a degree of, you know, the guys that have been here before are not going to be overwhelmed by the moment. And uh, the hour and a half delay really helped Wake, and they, it really let them reset and get into the locker room and, and get a different mindset about them, kind of loosen them up. And they had much better at-bats the, the last two times they came to the plate. You know, you talked about Brock Wilk in a three fifty eight average with thirty one homers, eighty one RBIs. Talk about talk to me about Nick Kurtz, you know, right right behind him in the home run category with twenty four, but he's the leader in average with three sixty four. Just kind of talk about those two and, and any other guys that really contribute to this Demon Deacons offense. Kurtz is kind of the more complete ball player. Um Brock has worked tremendously hard to improve himself defensively to where he is I think going to be able to stick at third base uh, when he's a first-round draft pick next month. And moving forward, he's really worked with at him at himself um, batting-wise and being able to take pitches and knowing that he can take a walk instead of trying to hit a homer every time he's up because he's got guys behind him in the lineup. And that's kind of been the key. Um, Justin Johnson is a transfer from Lafayette, and he gets overlooked, and he, and he really shouldn't. Um, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. I think he's third on the team in homers with about 16 or 17. Uh, he hits for a high average. He drives gaps. And so his emergence has been huge. The guy who's scorching hot is the one that had the two-run single uh, in the eighth inning, Danny Corona. Um, he's a sophomore. He's a high school teammate of Nick Kurtz. He's actually the one that was drafted out of high school. Uh, he was a 15th or 16th round pick of the Pirates and didn't sign and uh, made it to Wake Forest and He's kind of struggled in the field. They've they've struggled to find a place for him where he can really be adequate uh, defensively. So he DHs for the most part. But I, I think he's got 19 RBI in the last five games. Uh, he had two multi-homer games in that stretch. He is really seeing the ball well. And, and the big thing about the two-run single in the eighth the other day is he's a lefty and, you know, Two months ago, three months ago, when he was kind of in and out of the lineup there for a stretch, they never would have trusted him in a left-on-left situation. But because he's kind of moved past some self-pity uh, that Coach Walter dove into with us in the post game, they trusted him in that spot. Um, so his first swing, he tried to hit the ball about 500 feet, and uh, the third base coach is the hitting coach, Billy Salento, called a timeout and came down and talked to him and kind of gave him a little bit of a reset, and two pitches later, he gets the ball down and drives it up the middle, and, and that's how Wake wins the game and is playing tonight instead of right now. And then, you know, you look at the pitching and top ERA by staff in the country. Red Louder has been incredible, 15-0 and on the season, 137 strikeouts. Josh Hartle is going to throw tonight, uh, 2.8 ERA, 11-2 and on the season. 
just kind of talk about th- this this pitching staff with an emphasis on Hartle since that's who the, the Tigers are going to face tonight and, and what makes this group so special. What makes the group special is is they're really bought in. Um, this team that they needed a, a chemistry overhaul. Um, two seasons ago, they were twenty and twenty-seven. And the ACC tournament, the worst two teams in the league don't go. And Wake was one of those two teams. Um, so, and part of that was we've we've heard kind of in hindsight now they're they're willing to tell us stuff now that they've won ninety some games over the last two seasons. There was a disconnect between the position players and the pitchers. Um, the pitchers didn't trust the position players if balls were put in play, so they tried to get strikeouts at a high clip, and that's how you wind up trying to make perfect pitch after perfect pitch, and that's no way to actually be effective as a staff. Um, and then the, the batters had to come around and, and trust the pitchers, uh, trust that they weren't going to make mistake pitches, and if they did, they would go pick them up with bats. Um, as to Josh Hartle, he is he's a sophomore. He's a big lefty that you look at and you think, man, he should be throwing the ball at least mid-90s or upper 90s not going to get it up that high. He's going to be low 90s. It's a heavy ball, though. Uh, he hides it pretty well. Um, he grew up a Wake Forest fan, uh, grew up in, in Winston-Salem there. So he's got the hometown uh, draw to him. And he's honestly, he was the guy that when he was coming to games as a senior in high school, I would notice him in the stands and I just kind of think to myself, well, you know, that's nice that he's coming out to see this team, but I don't know what he's doing here because he's going to be a first-round pick and he's not going to—he's never going to pitch for Wake. Uh, but I learned later um, he basically priced himself out of the draft and was not drafted because that's how much he wanted to pitch at Wake Forest for, for three years. And uh, he was pretty inconsistent as a freshman last year, and at the end of the year he added a cutter. And that has become... I would say his signature pitch. Uh, it's really something he goes to often, and uh, it, it completely turned him around. and And I think you're looking at a guy that's going to be a first round pick uh, next July. Now, for for tonight's matchup, obviously LSU, Wake Forest, they're the only two teams of this season that have spent any sort of time at, at number one. Colossal, you know, heavyweight type of fight tonight at at, at Charles Schwab Field. With that environment so far in Omaha, has just been electric. How special is this matchup going to be for every every fan of college baseball? Oh, this is, I mean, it's kind of what it's about. Like, not to not to get too cliche-ish or corny, but, you know, this is kind of the, mar- I look at this as the marquee matchup of college baseball season. Um, now, they could play again in, in a couple of days and might be likely to play again in a couple of days, but, but this is the one where, you know, both teams are one to know. The other, the other interesting fact, along with the both of them are are the only teams that were number one this year. Both of them are now the only teams that haven't lost in the NCAA tournament. Um, they're both they they have not faced adversity to this point in this tournament so far, and one of them will at the end of tonight. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I'm sure y'all have seen the the Rocco's Jello Shot Tracker, and of course that gives a pretty that gives a pretty good indication of just how much LSU takes over this place when they're here. Um, I've even, you know, I, I have no dog in the fight, but I, I think it's pretty cool that they've turned the uh, the slogan Gomaha. Uh, I've seen that on some shirts around here with the with the Go Tigers in there. 
Um, but yeah, this is this is kind of what it's all about. Um, this is a game that you know I'm, I'm kind of stoked to cover, and that that doesn't happen uh, with all that much regularity for me. Chatting with Connor O'Neill of Deacon Illustrated here on, on Crunch Time. Now, Connor, I, I'm gonna give you the the prototypical analyst question here. Looking at tonight's game, if, if you had to give me three keys to victory for, for the Deacons, what is it? First, I want to look at their kind of their body language. They were tense against Stanford. They were I don't I don't want to say overwhelmed by the moment, but they were definitely feeling the kind of the scope of, of what it meant to be in Omaha, what it meant to be playing the opener. And they came out a lot looser after the lightning delay. Just obviously you're not going to plan for Mother Nature giving you an hour and a half timeout every every time you tense up. So I want to see how loose Wake is. Uh, I want to see Josh Hartle early because he was he was not sharp early in the Super Regional game too against Alabama. He left some balls up and they got hammered over the fence and uh, I think two or three homers in the first two innings for him and to the point where the pitching coach, Corey Mascara, had to come out and tell him, like, hey, you're you're a good pitcher. You can you can handle this. You're meant for this. Uh, you can do this. And all of a sudden he gets to the sixth inning, and, and it was kind of a wrap at that point. Um, third, I want to see how deep Wake's outfield plays. Uh, that was a bit of an issue against Stanford. A lot of balls that – Hung up in the air for a while. Um, there were two diving catches by the middle infielders going back on balls that were honestly should have been cans of corns for the center fielder, Tommy Hawk. So that's an adjustment that I think Wake will make. Um, they've got great outfielders, especially when Lucas Costello is in left. So I'm, I'm really curious to see just how deep Wake's outfield starts the game. Who wins tonight and why? I'm sorry, did you say who wins? Yeah, who who wins the game tonight and why? I I don't know. I, I think I think if you have a coin a coin you can flip it. Right. Um and, and that would that would uh give you as much of a definitive answer as I could. Um I do think that there, there's something to be said for every time Wake seems to have a subpar offensive game, they bounce back in a in a pretty big way. So I don't think you're looking at a game that's going to be two one or three two tonight. Uh, and and so that if you if you're talking about a game that you think Wake's going to score five six seven runs, you're talking about okay, well how many is Josh Hartle going to give up? And uh, like I said, he's been shaky lately. So you know I would I would give the slight edge to Wake. Um, I, I think starting pitcher-wise, I think Josh Hartle gives them a pretty clear advantage. Uh, and then everybody's, everybody's available in both bullpens. Um, I don't know how available Paul Keynes would be, but <laughs> based, on, uh, based on the freak of nature that he is, I don't, know, I don't know if I'd be completely shocked if I saw him tonight. Yeah, I mean, uh, he threw a lot of pitches Saturday night against Tennessee, <laughs> but but I think if, if if Jay Johnson really needed him, that uh, he he would certainly be available. Connor, really appreciate you taking the time, man. Enjoy the game tonight, and uh, hopefully we can talk soon. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And there he goes, Connor O'Neill of DeaconIllustrated.com. Once again, LSU Wake for six o'clock tonight. Pre-game at 5.30 right here on the game. We'll take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number one right after this. 
This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The LSU Tigers will take on the Wake Forest Demon Deacons in a winner's bracket game tonight at the College World Series. Pre-game begins at 5.30. First pitch is set for 6. And all the action is brought to you right here on the game by the following sponsors. Artco Equipment, Arsenal Machine Supply, Bubba Ocelot Toyota Ford, Cybers Bayou Casino, Iggy Castile State Farm, Attorney Paul Brown, The Bank, Service Chevrolet Cadillac, Beal and Hernandez, and Tips Trailers. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time. We're wrapping up hour number one here. Just got about 30 minutes left for hour number two before we get to LSU baseball as they take on the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Looking at the poll question of the day on both Facebook and Twitter, if you haven't given your vote already or commented, go ahead and do it. What was the most surprising thing from the sports weekend? Was it the Reds sweeping the Astros? Astros now losing four in a row? Was it Clark winning the U.S. Open? Was it Bradley Beal being traded to the Suns? Or was it something else? Right now, the Reds sweeping the Astros... Really caught a lot of people by surprise, apparently, based on the um, results at 47%, which very yeah. fair because you would have thought, okay, if you're going to lose to the Reds, maybe you still get like game three. You know what I mean? Yeah. At least somewhat salvage the series, but no. No. I mean, look, uh, don't get me wrong. The, the Reds have played well as of late, and it's been, it's been impressive to they, see. They've definitely been on a roll and been taking names. But it's the Astros... And it's who the continue Reds. to get injured. Oh man, Jordan's out for a month. Jose Altuve still doesn't look right. Um, I mean, they just they they just can't figure it. They can't put it all together. Um, now Alex Bregman did have a good game on Sunday. Jose Abreu has been playing well. Jeremy Pena looks like he's starting to come around just a little bit. So there's positives to take away. But the overall here is that the Astros, if they have a game where they score runs and they perform well, the pitching falls. Because, I mean, you look look, look at yesterday's game. The Astros scored seven. They gave up nine. But then you have games where neither show up. And that was Saturday. James, the Astros managed to score three runs, which isn't great in today's baseball. I think I think the MLB average is like five runs a game or something like that. So three runs, not a lot. You gave up ten. Woohoo. Great stuff. Really, really riveting. Two to one on Friday. You've now lost four straight to two really bad teams. Yes, the Reds are, are, are hot right now. That's great. But now you've got three games left of this six game road this nine game homestand. And so far in this nine game homestand, you are two and four. 
You're two and four. You have three games left. One of them you're going to be facing against your former teammate in Justin Verlander. That one's going to be on Tuesday. James, the Astros have to take two out of three against the Mets to feel remotely good about this homestand. But the the point remains, you're still going to end it with a a losing record. The only way you can salvage a winning record out of this nine-game homestand is if you sweep the Mets. And I just don't see that happening. The Mets are good. They're not a bad baseball team. And then you go on the road for nine games against, or, or ten games actually, against the Dodgers, the Cardinals, and then four games against your arch rival and division leader in the Texas Rangers. Yeah. Yeah. Go go ahead and grimace a little harder back there, James. That's brutal. That is a rough way to end June and begin July. Um, so if you're the Astros, and, and look, I, I oh, it's a it, it's a medicine season, it's a hammock season. They won, yada yada. I get it. But when you have developed the reputation that the Astros have developed over the last couple of years, you don't get hammock seasons, you don't get medicine seasons. You're expected to produce. I'm not asking you to win a World Series every single year. But you're going to have to be better than this. Compete for one. Yeah, you're, you're going to have to be better than this. Hour number one in the books. We'll continue this conversation to kick off hour number two. We'll also talk about Wyndham Clark. Where the hell did he come from? We'll do that next right here on the game. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's hour number two of Crunch Time, technically 30 minutes, here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station, live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. In hour number one, we previewed LSU Wake Forest. We'll do that here in a little bit with our guy Raymond Parsh III. We also talked about the Houston Astros. Right now, we're going to continue talking about the Astros a little bit, but the first thing I want to get to is the U.S. Open. Wyndham Clark, who had only won one PGA event before and had never finished higher than 75th place at a major, captured the 123rd playing of the U.S. Open by shooting 11 under. Now, couple of reasons why this is important. Number one, he is, this is his first major. Number two, this is the first time that a major was played at LA Country Club. But then this is the third one and probably the most interesting. And James, I want to get your quick thoughts on this. The last five winners of the U.S. Open had never won a major before. The last five years, the winner of the U.S. Open, it was their first major ever. That's wild. And you'd almost want to say it was like a turning over a new leaf, like, hey, we're moving on from kind of like one gen to the next. Yeah. But I, but at the same time, it's like, are we going to see Wyndham Clark consistently top well, and win? Can that that's the thing that that's that's, that's what I'm wondering because a lot of the guys it's like it's guys that have come up out of nowhere it's not like it's the new guys that are young and ascending 
is guys that are kind of coming out of nowhere. Like with Wyndham, Cat had never placed higher than 75th in a tournament before. Correct. And then won this one. Like I remember yesterday, I'm looking at it at my sister's house, and my brother-in-law had the had uh, had it on. I was like, You're like, who the hell's Wyndham? Who Clark? the hell is Wyndham Clark? And why is he winning? Right, right. So the, the the questions that are kind of getting asked now following the U.S. Open, number one, can Wyndham Clark keep this up? Number two, with the performance that Ricky Fowler had on the weekend, is, is Ricky back? Because he struggled for a couple of years. You know, he was around, but you never expected anything out of him. Do, do you kind of have some expectations now for Ricky Fowler? And, and number three, and, and this might be the biggest question of the three, what has happened to Jordan or to Justin Thomas? And the reason that I say that is he's now missed the cut in back-to-back tournaments. And his best finish... In, a, in an event, in 2023, is fourth at the Phoenix Open. But since the Phoenix Open, he's gone tied 20th, tied 21st, tied for 60th at the Players, tied for 10th at the Valspar, missed the cut at the Masters, tied for 25th at RBC Heritage, tied for 14th at Wells Fargo, Tied for 65th at the PGA Championship. And then he missed the cut at the Memorial, missed the cut at the U.S. Open. What's going on with Justin Thomas? And when is he going to get back right? Let's go to the game hotline now. Ralph, what's going on? Hey, just real quick on on Wyndham Clark. I mean, um, he he actually did win just a few weeks ago at at Wells Fargo. So, you know, not to be a factor... (laughs) correct or anything, but his highest finish wasn't 75th before. I mean, he, he won, just like I said. No, his highest finish in a major was 75th. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's I, not what I – but anyways, uh, I, I get you. But but he is playing some good golf. He, I think – I'm pretty sure also him and uh, his teammate, whoever it was, that um, in New Orleans may have finished second, I believe, because um, that was kind of the first time he was – because I'm going to tell you the truth. Every time I hear his name, I think of a hotel chain. You know, well, of course. in the motels. You know? Right. Um, so, so uh, but, you know, uh, kind of looking back at his story, Matt, um, I mean, the, the kid really had game. He, he only had to spend one year on the, um, on, 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 the, on the web.com tour at that time. And believe it or not, guess what? He played right there at La Triomphe. And guess what? He, he only finished 56 shooting even par at La Triomphe. So it just goes to show you. Uh, I was showing a, a, a buddy of mine, not well, right after the, um, uh, I don't know, the Masters or whatever, when, when Scheffler almost won. But uh, Scotty Scheffler played right there at La Triomphe just three years ago and um, and, ba- and only made the cut on, on the number. So, I mean, golf is a weird game. And any, anybody can get hot at any time, you know, and, and – uh, uh, you know, normally the PGA pro- produces the most surprise winners, but you look back in history and you got like an Andy North, uh, two U.S. Open victories, but really very little else in his career. You know, and and uh, so I don't, you know, 
I'm not sure how to explain it because I can see if it's the same course played every year. You talk about the horses for courses angle, but that's not the case here because obviously it's a, it's a totally different ball game, different for places. Sure. But for sure, um, you know, all I wish is I'm telling you when I was looking at my FanDuel's account Thursday morning, I almost pulled the trigger and, and put just one buck on him, and boy, that had been a handsome little return, and I I, I didn't uh, unfortunately. But um, but look, I mean, given the backstory, look, I, I'm always putting for Rory. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you. I just thought that he carried the torch of the PGA Tour versus Liv. I just kind of wanted to see him rewarded for that. Right, right. But when I heard the backstory of of William Clark's lo- losing his mother and almost quitting the game, man, you you can't you know for I sure mean, you can't for sure that, that kind of Ralph. Story. Appreciate the call, All right, man. Buddy. All right, man. Go Tigers. The Astros again, 7-10 tonight against the Mets. You can catch that one over on News Talk 98.5. We'll take a timeout when we return. Your very own Raymond Parsh III joins the airwaves right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you are looking for great deals, then look no further than AcadianaDeals.com. Plenty of two-for-one deals available right now, including a $30 voucher to La Hacienda for only $15, a $15 voucher to Pizza Artista for only $7.50, and a $40 voucher to Misfits Dine and Drink for only $20. Once again, head to AcadianaDeals.com to take advantage of these deals and so many more. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. LSU getting ready to take on the top team in the country, Wake Forest, here in a little less than an hour. First game in the College World Series for Jay Johnson's crew was a 6-3 victory over Tennessee on Saturday night. Paul Skeen's absolutely dominant, but who's really surprised by that? Joining us now on the game hotline is a voice that you're probably familiar with. Uh, he is live from Omaha, Nebraska. The big, bald, and beautiful one himself, Mr. Raymond the Third, RP3, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing tremendous. Gearing up for uh, hopefully another uh, great contest here at Charles Schwab Field. First weekend. Man, the first three games were all one-run uh, affairs. The only one that wasn't, of course, was LSU's win over Tennessee. But there were some interesting things late in that ball game. But I expect it to be an absolute heavyweight fight tonight when the Demon Deacons and the Tigers take on themselves there. In winner's bracket game, and it's a huge game, Matt, because if they win, that team gets a day off and won't have to go through the process of trying to win three games in three days to get to the championship round. Now, you know, before we get to tonight's matchup, let's go back to Saturday. And and I want to start with this. We we talked all week about how Charles Schwab Field is not really conducive to to long ball hitting. But LSU got got off to a quick start. I mean, Gavin Duga unloaded a home run to left field just in the second inning for LSU to get on the board early. Uh, Just kind of talk about Gavin and the way that he's been able to come up so big for this team so far in the postseason. 
Well, he either hits home runs or he gets on base by getting hit by pitches, which has happened a lot in his career with the Tigers. But the young man from Homa came up big. That kind of set the tone early. Look, Skeens was dealing and was dominant. Uh, but they weren't necessarily running away from the Volunteers. Dugas kind of gets them started there. And, and this is a guy that bats, you know, a little bit, you know, on the back end of the lineup, but yet always finds a way to get on the base pass. And that's huge. And Dugas is just one of those guys. He's a bit of a grinder, you know, kind of a team leader guy. Jay Johnson really has a lot of faith in him and what he's able to do. And that whole bottom part of the lineup, I mean, you talk about Dugas hitting that home run there into left field bleachers. And, of course, an LSU fan caught it, which was even better, kind of an explanation point there. But the whole bottom part of the lineup, I mean, really five of the ten hits, in Saturday night's win over Tennessee came from the seven, eight, nine hitters, including Braden Jobert going three for four with a double, an RBI, triple, and a home run. So half of your production is coming from the bottom of the lineup, and that's what makes LSU's lineup so dangerous is guys like Dugas that are towards the bottom of the lineup and Jobert and others, they get on base, which creates RBI opportunities when the top of the lineup comes around, of course, with Dylan Cruz and Tommy Tanks, the you know back-to-back All-Americans that a team has to face, it gives them far more opportunities to drive in runs, and that what makes their lineup so dangerous. And look, Dylan Cruz got a couple of hits, but the other guys really weren't that much of a contributor in Saturday's game. But yet they were able to get the timely hits from the bottom of the lineup with Gavin and Brayton and others. So. It's been key, and Gavin has you know, been a big part of what they've been able to do, kind of an unheralded uh, hero, if you will. Cruz and White and, you know, Skeens get all the headlines, and even Trey Morgan to a lesser degree, but Gavin's been one of what I call those glue guys that goes out there and just does his job and gets on base a ton. Now, you brought up Braden Jobert and his 3-for-4 performance. It's not every day that you, you see a guy be one leg away from a triple much less the one leg that he needed being, I mean, a cycle, but but the one leg that he needed being the easiest one of all in a single. No, and it was kind of funny, you know, and he, he did he did all of the hard parts and not the easiest part to get the cycle. But, you know, those guys are very just locked in. And, and they mentioned it in postgame when we were able to talk to them and, you know, they mentioned how Jay Johnson tried to warn them, you know, what it was going to be like, the atmosphere, all the fans, 25,000 people in a ballpark and everything like that. And even Gavin Dugas made the kind of the joke. He said, yeah, it was more like 10 times that, you know, 10 times what we really expected. But what stood out to me about whether it's Joe Bear or Dugas or Cruz or whoever it may be, the moment doesn't seem to be too big for them. Matt, if that makes any sense, even though – the majority of this team has never been to Omaha. Right. They don't have any experience. They've never played in a college World Series. So, But they kind of conduct themselves in a way that they're prepared for it. And, yeah, they were a little nervous. And, yeah, they admitted to how exciting it was to being out there. But they went out there in kind of a very workmanlike mentality. And, yeah, Schemes was dominant on the bump, and that helps when you have the best pitcher in the country on your team. But... The defense was good. Trey Morgan came up with some great saves there at first base. Josh Pearson out there in the outfield dealing with the shadows and dealing with how the sun sets on the ballpark. 
So it was a complete game. Uh, dominant pitching. We got the timely hits. Had a couple of home run balls, which, by the way, that was a thing the entire weekend in a park that we were told the home run ball really wasn't going to play a factor. Well, Oral Roberts and Florida and mm-hmm. Tennessee and LSU and everyone else had no problems getting home runs in that ballpark. And I don't know if it's because it's a little bit hotter than normal or whatever it may be, but it, the ball definitely carried a little bit. But, you know, these guys seem like they're ready. And I think that's a big part of that has to do with Jay Johnson already being here. He's been to Omaha. You know, he and his staff pulled Pearson aside to tell them about the how the sun sets to kind of prepare them. And I think his mentality, they kind of feed off of that, so to speak. And, yeah, they're happy that they got their win, and that's great. But they're, they seem to be very locked in to this moment, and they understand the opportunity that they have in front of them. Now, you, you talked about last uh, Saturday night being a complete game, whether it was pitching, defense, hitting at the plate. You know, you, you talked about Paul Skeens as well, just a dominant performance with his 12 strikeouts. He had 46 pitches thrown that were 100-plus miles an hour. How does Ty Floyd, al- although he's a much different pitcher than Paul Skeens, how does Ty Floyd continue to use that momentum from Skeens to, to pick up a crucial victory against Wake Forest tonight? Well, he just has to take the same approach he's taken all season. I mean, we spend so much time talking about Paul Skeens and being the best pitcher in baseball. Well, you know, Ty Floyd hasn't lost a game, right? And most times you'd be talking about someone that pitches in the SEC being undefeated, and we'd be glowing about him. We'd be writing long articles about him. People would be waxing poetic. And yet he seems to be kind of an afterthought. He does not have Skeens' stuff. It's not even close. Skeens throws harder after throwing 100 pitches than most guys do in the big leagues. He's a special talent. He's a unique talent. He's a generational type of talent. You know what Ty Floyd is? He's a grinder. He's a good pitcher. He's a good pitcher in the SEC. And he just needs to have the same mindset and same mentality that he's had all season. He's not trying to be Paul Skeen. He's not trying to be the best pitcher in baseball. He's not trying to do that. You know what he's trying to do, Matt? He's just trying to go out there and give his team a chance to win the ball game. He's trying to minimize the mistakes that he gives up. Now, sometimes he does get a little loose with the home run ball. He does give up some home runs. Ty does. We do know that because of the way he pitches. But he's going to try to let his defense do their job behind him. And he's just going to try to go out there and give them a good I'd say probably need five to six innings. That would be ideal to not to put so much wear and tear on the bullpen. If you can get Ty to come in there and give you five, probably more ideally six good innings tonight, they're going to have a great chance to win the game. Chatting with RP3 here on Crunch Time as LSU prepares to take on Wake Forest tonight. Speaking of the Demon Deacons, you know, number one in the country as a staff in terms of ERA, they're 21st in the country in batting average. They really can do it all. Um, you know, just kind of talk about the matchup between the Tigers and, and the Demon Deacons and who kind of has the advantage here tonight. I mean, it feels like a coin flip game because it feels like it's two heavyweights that are getting into the ring together. We expect it to go 12 rounds. The interesting thing is that they're going to throw one of their left-handers today. Um, Josh Hartle, he's the, their second-best pitcher on the staff. Obviously, uh, uh, Rhett pitched the other day for Wake Forest. 
And and the thing about him is that he's a lefty, and this is the kind of under-the-radar thing, is LSU's lineup has struggled more with left-handed pitching than it has with right-handed pitching this year. It's not a great difference by any stretch of the imagination, but that would be a bit of an advantage towards Wake Forest. And yes, they have the best pitching staff here in Omaha by far. And they had a great season in the ACC, and they did face some tough competition. But they haven't faced a lineup like they're going to face tonight. Like, not even close. And, you know, you remember, you know, one of the best lineups in the ACC this year was Virginia, who's already been eliminated. Well, Virginia and Wake Forest didn't play this year due to a scheduling thing. So Wake Forest hasn't faced a lineup like this. They haven't faced the best player possibly in college baseball as the leadoff guy, right? Then followed by Tommy Tanks, and then, you know, there's Trey Morgan, and there's Kate Beloso, and, you know, Hayden Stravinsky, and, and Dugas, and you just go down the lineup. There's not a hole in the lineup. So this is going to be intriguing to me. LSU, when it does have some struggles, it has been against left-handed pitching. Wake's going to throw out one of their aces, who just so happens to be a lefty. I do not expect this to be a low-scoring game. I don't whatsoever. I think the way the ball has kind of got out of the ballpark, I don't expect this to be a home-run derby, but I do expect there to be a bunch of extra base hits. I think this is going to be a high-scoring game for both of these teams. I think you're going to see this duke out. It's going to be six, seven, eight runs in this game scored by either team. And whoever is left standing in particular with their bullpen and whoever can get the most outs and not give up as much damage, so to speak, is going to be able to win this game. But even as it stands right now, and we're gearing up for first pitch, this still very much feels like a coin flip game. It feels like a championship game, and we're getting it in the second game for both of these programs. And that's kind of phenomenal to think about, that these could be considered the two best programs in the country. Remember, LSU was the number one ranked team for most of the season. Then Wake Forest became the number one ranked team. And the Deacons are the number one overall seed for the entire NCAA tournament. So you have the two best teams in the country duking out. I know Florida will have something to say about that, and especially, by the way, they've been playing of late. But this feels like a championship game, Matt. And it could go either way. And really, I think it's going to come down not to the starting pitching, Things going to come down to those late innings. Anything after the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth, how does Wake Forest attack it with their pitching against LSU's vaunted lineup? And how does LSU's bullpen respond? You know, Cooper came in and did a very nice job the other day. Gavin Guidry has been phenomenal, the former Barb star out of Lake Charles. And, you know, he came in, gave up a home run, and, you know, Jay Johnson said, that's enough. Boom, pull him. Bring in the guy that I've coached actually in Omaha, which would be Cooper. And he came in and got the job done, stopped the bleeding, stopped the rally, and kept Tennessee in check and picked up the save. Now, you could still use Cooper tonight, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see they're going to start, you know, they're going to go out there, they're going to start tie. I would not be surprised to see if you don't see Thatcher Hurd out there, okay, eating up some innings. Jay has been able to count on him of late since the SEC tournament. We know he trusts him. So this could be a situation where you get Thatcher Hurd, you get Ackenhausen out there, and maybe even Cooper again to get the win because they understand what, it, what is at stake here. If you can get the win tonight, 
You don't have to play tomorrow. Loser of tonight's game has to play once again tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Okay? If you win tonight, then you get to play not until 6 o'clock on Wednesday. Right? You get the extra day of rest. You don't have to go through the gauntlet. You have the easier path to the championship series. So both teams know what is exactly at stake. And if you're LSU, if you can get the win tonight against Wake Forest, then that sets it up where, okay, you don't have to play again Wednesday. Maybe we finally get to see Javian Coleman pitch. We haven't seen him pitch since May, but we know Jay Johnson has mentioned him both in the regional round and the super regional. If those would have went extra games, Coleman would have been the guy to get the start. So if you go through Ty Floyd and you Satcher Hurd, let's say tonight, well, then you can start Coleman on Wednesday, and guess what? Then you can start Paul Skeens for the first game of the championship round for the weekend. Before I let you run, Ray, I, I know you're a, you, you, you hate predictions, but you, you got to give me one. What's the score tonight? Who wins? Oh, I can't give you a score. I can't do that. It's too close to call. I, I like LSU's chances. Let's say that. I like LSU to win the game. Um, I think they kind of were able to kind of relax a little bit. They got the first game under their belt and they'll be ready to go. They understand what is at stake. But once again, Wake Forest was tested, and Wake Forest gets the benefit of having that delay where they had to pause the game, and then they were able to rally to take down Stanford. So they're going to feel pretty confident about being tested right off the bat, and then we're able to rally to pull out a victory. But this is a heavyweight battle. If I had to pick, I can't give you a score. I think it's going to be high scoring. I think it's going to be around six, seven, eight runs around that thing. It's going to be a close game. I like LSU to pull out the win and advance to the winner's bracket and move on to Wednesday night. Raymond Parsh III, a.k.a. RP3, joining us here on Crunch Time as LSU prepares to do battle with Wake Forest. Ray, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy the game tonight, my friend, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you, brother. And there he goes, RP3. And that's going to do it for today's show here on the game. want to thank our guests, Connor O'Neill from Deacons Illustrated giving us a preview of Wake Forest and Raymond Parsh III previewing the game one last time as they get ready to do battle at Charles Schwab Field. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, and give a hug to your mom and them. It's time to throw it over now to Charles Schwab Field in Omaha. The voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair.